0: I want you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. <clears throat> Context of our discussion is very, very clear. Over the last few weeks we've been talking about the issue of cost counting and Christ following with the conviction that if I do not count the cost of following Christ, I simply will not finish the course. Okay, I may begin to follow Him, but if I don't reckon with the expense, the personal debt that I will incur in following Christ, I will not stay faithful to my commitment with Him to the end. Christ is unmistakably clear about that, and we spent a lot of time over the last four weeks looking at, I believe, verses somewhere up in verse 20 down through verse 33, working towards a conclusion about discipleship, and that is discipleship, Christ following, will cost you everything, even your very life. He ended with the need to say farewell to all of one's possessions in order to be fully devoted to Christ. I can't tolerate a division in my heart between the things of this world and Christ. It is impossible to be fully devoted in two different directions in your life. You can only be fully devoted to one person, one cause, and one purpose. That has been made abundantly clear. The question that comes, starts to come into your mind though is this, why and to what end does Jesus spend extended discourses teaching about the cost, cost counting, counting the price? Why does he do that? I think the answer to the question is found in what I'm going to say is the fifth word that I'll give to you this morning that describes Christ counting and, or cost counting and Christ following. We've used four words thus far. The fifth word is going to be this. Or it might be the sixth word. I'm not sure. Christ, or cost counting and Christ following will lead to influence. It will lead to influence. I have studied this text many times. Okay? I'm here to tell you I never put the salt and light text in the context of the discussion of discipleship. But that is exactly what Luke does. He expends a serious number of verses on describing the cost that you will incur if you follow Christ. What is the purpose of following Christ now? In my life today? What is the purpose? I think the answer from verse 34 through 35, the discussion about salt, I think is the answer to the question why I should live a sacrificial, cost-counting, Christ-following life. Okay, and I think here's the answer. Because then my life will count. It will make a difference. I will have an influence in the world that Christ has called me to live in. All right, if you know anything about the descriptions of salt in the Word of God and about salt in the ancient world, <clears throat> you know that salt had a purpose. It had the purpose of preservation and adding taste or zest to food. I brought some salt, okay? This is uh, this shop right. It's not. What's the brand I was thinking I wanted? Morton, yeah, it's not Morton salt. So this is probably like diluted salt, okay? <laughs> Here's what Jesus says about this. He says, <clears throat> and just this, this is for my wife, okay, this morning. Here's what Jesus says, honey. Salt is good, okay? <laughs> I've always, don't, why do you, why do you, why do you? Because it's good. I have scripture to prove my point now. <laughs> Application. Don't say to your husband when he puts salt on his food. (laughs) He's just obeying Jesus. Okay. Why does Jesus allude to the issue of salt? This has been something that has... I, I, I knew what it meant, but I never tied it to the direct commands to follow. Count the cost. Why? Do you want your life to make a difference? The answer for every individual is this. Yes. Why? Because God created you for a purpose. We all claim, you know, Psalm 139, when we talk about the value of the pro life position, which we hold to emphatically. But the reason we value that is every life has a God given plan and purpose. So does yours. And for every Christian, the God given plan and purpose is this that you, in your sphere of influence, would make a difference, that your life would count, that your presence would be noticed not because you were odd, okay? I do that sometimes. God wants us to be noticed because we are different. We are distinct. There's something tangible and effective and influential about our lives. And so we count the cost and we pay the price because we want to make a difference not for our own resume, but for the kingdom of God. And it is for that kingdom that we are called to be salt for the cause of Jesus Christ. Now, when he uses salt in this discussion, it is a bit of a parabolic or parable kind of statement. Okay, a parable is this. It is an illustration or a picture that illuminates or clarifies a religious or moral value. Okay, it's an illustration or a picture that clarifies a moral or religious conviction or value. So Jesus points to salt and says, Salt is like you. Or salt is what you are to be like. Salt is introduced into circumstances for the purpose of preservation, influence, or to add taste and appeal. Okay? So we as Christians are set beside salt by Jesus because He wants our lives in some way to resemble salt in how we live. Our life should be a life of influence. Context? Christ followers. Illustration? salt. It is good. It is an issue of making a difference. It is an issue of being influential. Corey read for us the other text, Matthew 5.13. You, church, are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? Now, let me just take this phrase. You are the salt of the earth. I just want to unpack this real quick. I'm going to do Four simple observations from this text help you discover what Jesus means when he says you are the salt of the world. Okay, what are the implications of that? And then you have four more points in your notes. I'll tell you right now, I'm just going to do one of them, okay? So you're not all panicked, okay? And at 1210, he's only halfway through, okay? By 1230, I'll be done, I promise. No, I'm kidding. Um, So here it is. You is the word I want you to focus. You are the salt of the earth. What I'm going to do is put an emphasis on different words. Okay? You are the salt of the earth. Who is addressed? Context, cost-counting Christ followers. And let me say this. There is only one kind of Christ follower on planet earth. It's people that count the cost. If you have never paid a price for your faith, for your walk with Christ, it is likely that you are not a true follower. Because there is no Christ following without cost counting. Okay, so you, context, the disciples and Christ followers, the ones that are being addressed in the immediate preceding context. Okay, you is every believer who has heard or responded to the divine call and summons of God, who says, today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your heart. It is every believer who has been called to the inconvenient, uncomfortable... Radical, costly, Christ-exalting life of a disciple. Okay, if you are in that category, this text about salt applies to you. You are the salt of the earth. Next statement. You are the salt of the earth. You are it. It is a state of being for Christians. We are God's influence on planet earth. What that means is this. There is no alternative plan for getting out the good news of Jesus to your world. There is no other plan. Alright? He tagged you. You're it. You are, present tense, <clears throat> by definition, God's plan for reaching the world. And let this settle on your hearts. There is no alternative plan in God's design to reach your neighbor... With the gospel of Christ. There's no alternative plan. There's no alternative plan for reaching your co-worker. There's no alternative plan for reaching your friend at school, young people. None. You are the salt of the earth. And you are where you are as salt by God's sovereign choice and design. He put you in your sphere of influence you are it in your sphere of influence, in your family. You are, and then you are the salt. Definition, I already said this, you are people of influence by design. That is why if you are not living a cost-counting, committed life in your Christian experience, you will experience some persistent, pesty degree of discontentment. You know why? Because you're not fulfilling your God-given purpose. God saved you by His grace and commissioned you in a certain sphere of influence not to complain about it, but to make a difference there. In your workplace, I don't care how hard it is, Jesus lived in a harder set of circumstances than you and I could ever live in. And there He was, God's influence. And He lets us hear and says, You are it. You are the salt. You are the means by which I desire to impact a specific sphere of influence. You are like sprinkled into that location. And then lastly, this. You are the salt of the earth. The realm in which God has called us to be influential. Does that make sense? You are the salt of the earth. You take each word and you just emphasize it and say, okay, what is that going to mean in my life? Now here's the question, or the proposition I want to give to you this morning. This is my conclusion before I give you the thoughts. Our lives should have influence. Our lives should have influence. Or our lives should make a difference. You should be noticed where you live. Okay, your life should be making a difference. Now here's the question I want to ask, and I'll just deal with the first thought. How do we as Christians maximize, take full advantage of our God-given calling? How do we maximize the impact or influence that we are to have in our world where we live in your slice of the pie? How are you going to make a difference there? And the first thought, and it's the only one I'll give you this morning, is this. Be intentional. Okay? here Can I give you this thought? Most of you have probably not thought about this, but this is a God-given truth. Where you live, you do not live by mistake. You live there by God's design. The job you have is a divine appointment. You may hate your job. God's trying to do something in your life there. He gave you a sphere of influence, a place to work. What He wants you to do to maximize your impact, your influence, your saltiness, is to be intentional. And here's the directive. Make a decision in your life to eliminate the wall that stands between the sacred and the secular in the lives of most Christians. Now, I want to be very direct this morning. Okay? For many of you sitting here right now, okay, this is your Christian experience. And it's all there is. This is the time in your week that you devote to God. Okay? I have done this myself. Okay, Sunday morning, that's the time I give to God. And then I'm going to take my kids to the sports event. Then I'm going to go to work. Then I'm going to go spend time with the family. Then I'm going to veg out at home. Okay, and here's what we do. We tend to erect a solid wall between the sacred in our life and the secular. I think this text deals a death blow to that assumption. I believe at work, workmen and women... You should tear down the wall that divides your work life from your spiritual life. I think you should tear it down and say this. I don't go to work as an employee. I am a Christian who goes to work. And when I go there, I am there to be an influence. I've told you men this in certain various settings. I crave the context that you live in on a daily basis. I wish I had interaction with people out on the street on a regular basis. And I'm trying to reorient my life so that I have more contact with people. Why? Because God created us to be an influence. If you find that your walk with Christ is dissatisfying through the week, on Sunday morning I feel charged, but on Monday it's kind of, ugh. Here's what you probably have done. You have probably erected a solid wall between your walk with God and your daily life. And the result of it is a, a an insidious form of discontentment that leads to persistent unhappiness, and it will affect every realm of your life. You can't escape it. You can't go out and be an employee and then on Sunday be a Christian. Jesus said you can't do it. It's impossible. Jesus wants to permeate every part of your life. He wants you to be an influence. He wants you to be intentional and thoughtful and strategic about making a difference. Don't just be a Sunday Christian. Don't think of Christianity as a Sunday sport or activity. Don't just talk about Jesus on Sunday. And I'm going to make a strong statement. I believe that a Sunday Christian is not a true Christian by the biblical definition. I'm not saying you're not saved. Okay. But if you say, Tim, I'm a Christ follower, but there is a divide between the sacred and the secular in your life, I I will challenge you as to your definition of what a Christian really is. Because being a Christian is 24-7. 365 days of the year. We are on mission. We have a God-given purpose. We are salt that is dispensed out of the shaker into the world to make a difference there. That is our God-given calling. And when you commit yourself to fulfilling that calling, you will find a dramatic joy in your life. It will alter your attitudes. It will alter your language, your behavior, your priorities. Every day of the week. It's not enough just to be here on Sunday morning. You must be different as Christ's representative throughout the week. On Tuesday night in our men's Bible study, we were having a discussion from the book of 1 Timothy, I think the beginning of chapter 2, talking about, don't complain, pray for everyone, for kings, those in authority, for all people, okay? And as we started to hone in on that, we discovered that for many of us, a negative, grumbling attitude is fairly common. And somebody brought up this discussion. Why is it that on Sunday we can be happy Christians and the rest of the week we're something else? Why? Here's what one person said. They said Monday. Monday's why. What do you mean Monday's why? Oh, because life tends to sneak in and crush your passion and love for Christ. For a lot of you men, it starts Sunday night. For a lot of you ladies, it starts Sunday night cuz you start thinking about work or the burdens of the week that are coming, right? And Monday destroys the decision that you made on Sunday morning. You know, lots of this stuff just happens. Isn't that true? And all of a sudden we are we're, we're taken off course. Why? Okay, let me make this suggestion and be very clear. Okay? If you're not intentional about about taking Jesus to work on Monday morning, it's not going to happen. See, the pressures of life will kill passion for Christ unless you choose intentionally to say, I am going to take my beliefs, my passion for Christ that I shared this morning as I sung, I'm going to take that into this week and I am not going to let Satan wrest it out of my heart. I will not let him win the day. Here's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to make a commitment, an intentional commitment on Monday morning to say, you know what, before I go to work, I'm going to spend time with God. Folks, I can guarantee you this. If you don't spend time with God on a regular basis, and I mean some type of committed, quiet time, and the morning for most of us is best, let's be honest. Okay, if you don't do that, you're going to find that Monday kills your joy. And it may be anything on Monday. Okay, but it will, if you don't go after God in prayer and say, God, today, I want your help. I want to be your man. I want to be your person of influence in my sphere today. I can just about guarantee it's not going to, because it, it doesn't just happen by default. Okay, it happens by intention. So when you go out, as you drive down the street through your subdivision, your neighborhood, for Dave and Laura, you've got to get to town before you see people, right? Because they're out about a mile outside of town. No, nobody's around except mom and dad. All right? But when you get to where people are, would you have the heart of Christ? I have been, this is something that was impressed upon me this weekend in the seminar. Conviction about, have I prayed strategically and intentionally? From, I do for some. But I can't tell you that the 13 houses in my subdivision have been covered by prayer. Why? I haven't seen it as my sphere of influence. I need to realize God put me there with a purpose. And when we start to go after that and risk a little bit for the mission, your life is going to change. You're going to have a purpose that gets you out of bed in the morning that forces you to pray because you know you can't make a difference in your neighborhood without His help. You you guys go to school, right? You go to school and you engage with a various number of people. Do you go there saying, God, today, use my life. Shake me out of the shaker from Sunday morning." You see, the church doesn't make a difference here. What we're doing here is helping each other grow, stoking our passions and love for Christ, reminding each other about our God-given calling and purpose. But when we go out there, I have to intentionally maintain that passion. I have to make choices about whether or not my life is going to make a difference. So on Thursday late afternoon, as we were getting ready, Steve and I, to fly to Nashville for this seminar for two days and come back tomorrow night, You guys, you won't believe this, okay? But when I go in that setting, I'm an introvert, okay? I like to hide. I like to be alone. It's weird, but it's true. The weird part doesn't surprise you, okay? The opportunities to make a difference are all around you. They are all around you. If you don't live with intention, you're blind to the opportunities that God gives. As the salt that He ordained you and chose you to be, and left you here as the only plan, so Steve and I get in a—I uh, was going to say a limousine—wasn't a limousine; it was a van. Okay, limousine sounds better, but it was a van at Vista Parking by Northern State Penitentiary. We get in the van. It's a black man driving the van. So here's what—you here have a choice, right? You can just totally ignore that person. Just totally ignore him. I'm on—I'm going somewhere. I'm on business. Or you can say I'm a Christian who happens to be taking a trip somewhere, and I wonder, I wonder. said so the man I said, "Where are you from? Are you from?" I forget. Steve, what did I ask him? Did I say, "Are you from South Africa or West Africa?" I forget what I said. I was assuming he was probably like from Ghana because these people have a smile about them. And he said, "No, I said, actually he's from Haiti." I said, "Are you a Christian?" Because when you get five minutes with someone, you can't mess around. With well, I've got to develop a relationship before I bring up Jesus. Okay, there are certain settings in which, you know what? You just put it out there. Why not? Why not be sold? Why not make a difference? Do you know Jesus? Yes, I do. I said, well, let me ask you a second. Are you a born-again Christian? Because that's usually like the dividing line. He said, yes, I am. I said, how do you know? Because he says, I trust in Jesus Christ as my only Lord and Savior. Tell us your story. This man came from Haiti to America. Trained at Lancaster Bible College. Paid for by the Mennonites who are serious about being influenced. And they're serious salt people. They picked him up and said, we're going to pay for you to go through college. Ended up going back to Haiti as a pastor for 11 years. Now he's back in the U.S. He's been working two jobs. Working too much. But working really hard. Got talking to him and said, so you're degreed? He showed me his license. As a pastor, licensed for the ministry, I said, "What are you doing with that?" Well, I'm working, and so we get talking to him, Steve and I, and we get done. Got to the airport. I said, "Here's my business card with my web or my uh, my web address. I don't have a web address with my email on it." I said, "Would you would you contact me?" He said, "Yes." He said, "Probably on Saturday. I'll see you again because I'm picking you up." So we get to the airport. We call Vista. They come pulling up, and here's Bernard. There's seven people in the van now. Okay, before it was just Stephen. I said, so it's easier to speak up about Jesus things. Bernard says to me, my Bible's in this." I said, can I sit in the front with you? He says, yeah, his Bible's right in the center thing. I said, what are you doing with your Bible? He says, I'm preparing to preach tomorrow. I said, what are you preaching on? He said, John chapter 4. He said, I'm going to focus on the part about going out and making a difference. After she got saved, she went and told everybody in the city. Here's what I said. This is where you got to get kind of gutsy a little bit. Because he's out of the ministry. Here's what I said to him. And God's been talking to me about this church planning thing, expanding the kingdom. Here's what I said to him. I said, are you going to obey that? Are you going to go do that with the resources God has given you? Are you going to be salt to the Haitian community around New York City? And he started to share how God had been working on his heart and that he wants to quit his... He, he teaches, he's got his master's degree in French. After getting his, his uh, seminary degree, he went and got his uh, master's degree in French and teaches in the school in Elizabeth. I said, don't you dare quit your job. Why? I would love to have his job. This said, you got it easy now. You're just a teacher. You just teach from, you're there from seven to three. So you have it easy. I said, uh, will you take your gifts and apply them to church planning in your area? And he said, that, he said that's what he's planning to do, to become. And I said to him, look, I said, he said, the Haitian church needs one thing. It needs solid Bible teaching. And I said, if we can help you with that, I have men in our church that will help you with that. So some of you men, I promised that you would help, so make sure you step up, okay? Oh, look, why do I say this to you? Because we're, no, it, I don't care what you're doing. Okay, there is no menial task in the kingdom of God. There is no chance encounter. Okay, at a restaurant in, we were in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, where everybody, you know, all single-syllable words have three syllables, okay? Fascinating thing. They are friendly and lovely. we are standing in the line at the airport, I hear these two guys behind me going on and on about how friendly they are. Okay, we're getting on a flight to go back to Newark. Everybody's from New York, New Jersey. I can't believe how friendly these people are. I turned around and I said to the guys, I said, can you believe someone had the nerve to talk to me in the bathroom? You know, that's bold. We don't do that in New Jersey, you know. Met a girl at a restaurant called Dimas's. Her name is Christy. She was our waiter. I'm not going to see her again. So I said, uh, Are you a Christian? And Randy Cole was sitting there with me. and She said, uh, Yeah, I am. Well, where do you live? Well, I, I live outside of the area, but I'm here for school. you going to church? She said, She went on. She said, I'm a born again Christian. I said, Are you going to church? She said, No. Randy Cole said this. Because here was her reason I, I work on Sundays, which she does. Hard working girl. Very sweet girl. Randy said, would you think about starting a Bible study in your dorm room? And what was he saying? God is, this girl is a dynamic personality, friendly, engaging, attractive girl, just very, very sweet. Randy said, would you think about starting a Bible study in your dorm? She said, I didn't even think about that. You know why? Because most of us aren't intentional about making a difference where we live. Challenged her, gave her my business card and said, email me. If all these people email me back, I need to get an assistant just to answer email, Okay. But here's what you got to do. If you want to make a difference, you know what you to do? You have to sow the seed over and over and over again, and things are going to catch, and God's purposes are going to be- begin to emerge if you get intentional about being the salt that God has ordained you by His divine will to be. And when, I'm going to tell you something. When I got out of the van talking to Bernard, was I happy or sad? I was delighted. I'm going to tell you something. You don't engage with people like that and walk away sad. You don't. If there is a persistent discontentment, dissatisfaction, lack of purpose in your life, it's probably because you're not being an intentional, cost-counting, Christ-following disciple. You're not doing what he did. Mark chapter chapter 3 and verse 13 says this. Jesus selected 12 men, and he was with them. You know what he was doing? He was being an influence. You know what he wants you and I to do? He wants us to leave this building today. You know, do you remember what Ronald Reagan said to Gorbachev? In my notes, I spelled his name Gorby. You know what he said to Gorbachev? He said, "Tear down that wall." Remember, Infamous words, confrontation to the culture. I believe the church culture in America needs this confrontation: Tear down the wall that exists between the secular and the sacred, and get serious about Christian living. Not about being an ethical, moral person, moralistic, better than others. It's not all there is. It's to be intentional about making a difference. To realize that the relationships I have are not for my personal benefit. You see, that's what we're all about in America, aren't we? We're about results. We're capitalists. We invest in things that have a good payback. May God help us. Because we have adopted the world's mindset around us. And have become very concerned about how the relationships and contacts we have benefit us. We invest with a purpose, personal, benefit, individualism, rules in America. And it kills influence. You have to make a choice to overcome it. And the choice is to say, starting tomorrow. My Christianity is not just going to be a Sunday thing. Tomorrow, And here's what you're going to have to do. Because there's somebody out there that doesn't want you to do this. You know what he does? He builds walls. He builds walls between your Christian life and your secular relationships. And you, on a daily basis, are going to have to mow the grass of passion and intention. You're going to have to tear down the wall of division between the secular and sacred. Let people at work know that you're a Christian. I mean, serious about it. You don't have to be odd to do this. Just be real. Let them know the real reason for why you are moral. Don't be the guy that everybody talks about at work saying, oh, they're such a good guy. Let them know why. If they see you as a good person, that's about you. It's not about us. It's about influencing people for the kingdom of God. May God deliver us as we tear down the wall that is erected in most of our lives. And may we not go from here and park our faith at the door. Because I believe this with all my heart. The hour and a half that you spent here this morning is not biblical Christianity. And it may be Christianity with the small c. That is unconverted, unchanged heart. Because if you can live that way consistently for years, I think you have to ask yourself the question, is the Spirit of God alive in my heart? Do I really care? Have I really been changed? Father, we pray this morning.